This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 4, Episode 13, Juggling Multiple Viewpoints. 15 minutes long because 13 is bad luck. <laughs> and I don't know how to follow that. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. All right. Uh, we can of worms this last week, um, juggling multiple storylines. So let's, let's dig into it. This is one of the hardest things to learn in fiction, I think. So um, what are the pitfalls of using multiple viewpoints? Well, actually, let's back up. Why, do you, why would you want to use multiple viewpoints in a book? Yeah, if it's so per, hard. Per the last podcast, yes. um, so that you can broaden your scope, so that you can write an epic. Yeah, it helps you with writing an epic, even in a, not an epic though, having multiple viewpoints on the same events or mm -hmm. get, letting characters describe each other is a much better way to show who a character is than having the character describe themselves. Um, it's yeah. one of the things you gain by adding more characters is, is that different perspective. You can also on the world. broaden interest in the story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you have a, a male protagonist and a female protagonist whose point of views you are switching between yeah. and you do both of them well, you have now potentially doubled the size of your interested audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the book that I am currently writing is a science fiction about a, a kind of society reacting to a new technology. And so I went with new, I went with multiple viewpoints because I wanted, yeah. I knew that different people would react to that right. technology in different ways. It can, it, it's, it's a wonderful tool to use. Um, and so anyway, let's talk about how to do it. Pitfalls. What are some of the pitfalls of, of changing viewpoints? In your books. Losing momentum. Okay. Losing Ex steam. Explain on that. What does, what does uh, that mean? If you're pacing, you, when you are writing a single viewpoint, if you're doing it correctly, right. you know, as you're writing that viewpoint, you're building up momentum, you're building up a good head of steam, you're moving the story forward. Now you're going to change viewpoints, and that momentum, that momentum is immediately sacrificed right. because... You've changed, you've changed viewpoints. The only way you can capture that exact momentum again is for the viewpoint that you've switched to to be somebody who's in the room or right. part of the same event. So now you've, now you've recaptured that, but sometimes that's not an option. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, well, I suppose we ought to split this apart and say switching viewpoints and switching storylines are two completely different things. Yeah. Um, and in, in my mind, most of the time when I'm switching viewpoints, I'm switching storylines because I'll pick a central viewpoint character for a story, but not always. You can have three people in a room or, or on a plot and switch between them and keep your momentum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. this, uh, this is the exact reason that horror, for example, very rarely has right. multiple viewpoints because they keep the scope small because that allows them to keep the tension high. You'll yeah. see it in thrillers a whole mm -hmm. lot, um, particularly also young adult. Play things that, like when we were talking with Dashner, the, the books, that, the goal of the author is to have you pick it up, read page one, and then blink blearily a few le uh, hours later, turning the last page and say, wow, that ripped me through by my tonsils the entire story. In that case, switching Multiple viewpoints, viewpoints yeah. will get in your way. Yeah, um, but the, the type of stories I, I write, um, you aren't going to do that. You're not going to pick up a 200,000 or a 400,000 word epic fantasy, and generally you're not going to read it in one sitting. Um, so I can't afford to have the tension constantly ramp up all the way to the end. I've got to right. have dips and troughs. And multiple viewpoints, 
I can actually use the momentum as beats to help me do that. Yeah, yeah. so what you're doing, you're actually taking the disadvantage or taking the potential pitfall, right. and you are using that as a control rod to slow down the reaction of the story. Yeah. You're, and, and to give it a, a wider scope, yeah. to give it a sense of size. Okay, what are other potential pitfalls? Um, the reader will forget okay. uh, who a character is, yeah. or they'll forget about a key plot point because they haven't read about them in a while. Yeah, I think this is the most important, most problematic. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice for that, Dan, how they, how they don't do that? Well, what I'm trying to do when, when I do multiple viewpoints is I'll kind of figure out maybe a couple of different tiers. Here's my main character or mm -hmm. characters. Here's my side ones. And then here's the ones that I'm just going to throw in maybe one or two chapters throughout okay. the book. And so then I know how frequently I need to get back to them. Okay. So yeah. the main characters, we need to see them a lot. And if we go three or four chapters without the main character, that's too many. Right. Whereas those kind of side characters, we can maybe go four chapters without getting their viewpoint because they're not as big of a deal. Now, somebody built a database of uh, schlock mercenary character appearance, appearances mm -hmm. uh, several years ago and told me that by virtue of the number of times the characters had appeared, Tagon was the main character of the strip, and uh, 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 Schlock was a secondary character. Okay. And I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, I need to write more Schlock strips. And then I backed <laughs> up and realized, no, hang on a second. Schlock is my everyman character right. who works in some ways. The strip is working just fine. Mm -hmm. The statistics don't tell me I need to change. The statistics just tell me I probably need to know a little bit more about Tagon's background right. because he's a main character now. Right, mm -hmm. right. And what you're doing is you can use Schlock to say, when Schlock appears on the screen, we can suddenly say, okay, we're probably going to relax for a little bit now. This is going to be fun. Though you changed that in some of the most recent stories where you, um, you put Schlock in control. But for a while it was, okay, here are some Schlock strips. We'll relax and breathe for a little while. These are going to be fun. Yeah. Um, and then we'll get back and forth. All of them are fun, but then we'll, things will right. be more intense. And so you are actually using the form of that in the same way. Um, let me talk for a minute about the different strategies authors use, just so that you, you're aware of them as, as listeners. Um, I see two major strategies for character jumping. The one is, first is the way I call the George R. R. Martin way. Um, and the George R. R. Martin way is, if you read his books, he, is very, he has brief viewpoints from a character, and he switches frequently. It's like bam, 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 bam. And because he's telling one overarching main story, he's able to use each of these viewpoints to, to keep that, that rolling. George R. R. Martin does that. Tom Clancy does that. Yeah, Tom Clancy mm -hmm. does that. Um, the, the other big way is the large chunks from a character's viewpoint. For a, a large scope, several chapters are very long chapters where we get a big piece of their story, and then we know we're leaving them for a while. Robert Jordan did this very frequently in the, um, the later books of The Wheel of Time. Howard Taylor currently does yes, this. Yes, Howard Taylor currently does this. And each <laughs> have their own foibles and their own advantages. See what, um, see what I did there? Yes, yeah, pretty yeah. clever, wasn't that, it? That was good self-promotion. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Can of worm self-promotion there. And speaking of stuff that Howard Taylor does, do you want to give us our, our book promo? Oh, I would love, <laughs> I would love to uh, plug this audiobook. Uh, it's by my my friend and one of my favorite authors, uh, John Ringo. The book is called Live Free or Die. The main character is the ultimate Howard Taylor, Mary Sue self-insertion, except that I did not write this, so it doesn't count. He, he literally based the character on he you. He based yeah. the character on me. Uh, the character is a web cartoonist who um, takes over the world. 
the aliens have the aliens have shown up. John John emailed me and said, "Do you mind if I riff off of your universe? Uh, it's got me excited about telling a first contact story." And I said, "John, go ahead, have fun, knock yourself out." And what he wrote was huge fun. Um, it's it's a mixture of hard science fiction and uh, and space opera, mm -hmm. uh, and I love the main character because he's you. Because he's he's, he's me, only better, a <laughs> <laughs> little bit shorter, and a whole lot more Napoleonic. Okay. Well, uh, audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Um, support the podcast. Support uh, great authors. And support um, Howard's uh, hero complex. Megalomania. My, yeah. e my megalomania. <laughs> Live Free or Die by John Ringo. Okay. So um, let's talk about other problems and other, other vice, other issues to avoid and things to do if you're jumping through a lot of viewpoints. Do you have any advice for our listeners? How do the, you do it? My, my concern is that anytime I switch to a viewpoint where I know the character is doing something that the reader doesn't like, uh -huh. um, I, I may not have a momentum problem, but I have a pacing problem because the reader wants to move away from that. Okay. The reader doesn't like that character, and if I spend too much time there, I'll just lose the reader. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, your brother Jordo uh, talked about that a little bit. He's picked up books before and said, ah, I got to this viewpoint and I just hated it, and so I stopped reading the book. You know, I've, I've had an interesting... Uh, phenomenon with Elantris. Elantris is interesting that it has a strict rotation for most of the book. Character one, character two, character three. Character one, character two, character three. You can you can yeah. es estimate exactly how it's going to be, and each of them, each of those groups, they cover the same time period. So you see character one, two, three during a time, character one, two, three during a time. Anyway, um, historically, people who have read this book generally latch onto one character that they like a lot, are indifferent or kind of like a second character, and then come to hate a third one of the third characters. Not just hate them as a person, but really just don't like reading their viewpoints to the point that many people who have this stream numbers will just skip that viewpoint every time it comes up. And I think the form of the book actually nudged them toward that because they would love a character so much. <laughs> they could tell yeah. how many pages they needed to skip ahead. <laughs> yes, exactly. They'd know when the <laughs> character they didn't like was coming up and the characters were all divided. They were all off doing different things. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, they, they didn't start to really influence each other until the, the middle you know, about the three-quarter mark, the two-thirds mark. And so because of that, I had an interesting sort of situation. People did some, sometimes really hate one of the characters in that book, and it's evenly split which one they hate. Okay, um, so uh, another thing you can do to uh, facilitate multiple characters, like you had a very strict rotation in Elantris. Yeah. If you're not going to do that, mm -hmm. and so it's not immediately obvious which character you're in, you need to set that scene right, right off the bat. Oh yeah, you I need, think that's oh, yeah. important no matter what. You need to no give us what. a very clear sense of who this character is and where they are because we just got finished reading about oh. somebody else. That's excellent advice. In yeah. fact, if you're using the large chunks of story, you know, where you're going to you're going to give us a big thing, I would suggest trying to make each of those chunks have a beginning, middle and end, mm -hmm. even if it's yes. across five chapters oh, absolutely. and tackle one issue and bring us to a resolution point, which, you know, is bad for people who are writing thrillers, they're gonna say, no, you wanna end oh, with a cliffhanger. You can't do that for a thriller. I say, don't end with a cliffhanger. End with a satisfying conclusion, and then they will feel okay picking up the next chapter. And that's chapter. exactly what I'm doing right now with the family antimatter story yeah. in Schlock Mercenary. Mm -hmm. I, did, uh, I did a story on the, the docks, I did right. a story at the circus, I did a story on, uh, on Kratomar, and each of them 
arrived at a conclusion, mm -hmm. and then there was sort of a cliffhanger, which is, oh no, we all need to get back together, mm -hmm. and then re we rewind and move to the next story. Right. I've had complaints about that. People mm -hmm. say, well, gosh, I, I want to see Schlock again. Um, and the only solace I can offer them is, I promise that the story I'm telling right now will end in a satisfactory way, mm -hmm. and we will come back to the characters you like. Yeah. It's what I'm doing in the, the Wheel of Time books. Um, when I, I picked up tackling these, I said, I've got to do something like that, where I give mm -hmm. complete arcs, because there are just so many people in these books that if I tried the rapid fire sort of thing, number one, it would feel wrong for the Wheel of Time, but also you wouldn't get complete story arcs and nothing would feel satisfying. You get one yeah. third of a book, the second third, you know, in the, the next book, and then the final third in the final book. Well, yeah. if you've never written multiple viewpoints before, that's very different. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're <laughs> just writing one guy straight through, you can start a chapter in the middle of something. Yeah. You can, you know, give us some thoughts without telling us where he's standing. Whereas when you do multiple viewpoints, you really got to give us that information. Right. And that's not to say you can't use cliffhangers occasionally and whatnot, mm -hmm. but I would suggest that most of the time, if you're going to use a cliffhanger, you should be planning to get back to that character very quickly yeah. rather than just leaving yeah. for, for chapters and chapters don't, don't and chapters. Don't do what Tolkien did to me when <laughs> I think it was Pippin yeah. fighting on the front lines and a troll fell on him, and then we cut and we get about... 400 pages yeah, of somebody Tolkien else. Tolkien did that all the time. Um, yeah. Another big piece of advice, and this ties into what we did last, talked about last week with epics, but um, you'll notice that what Howard did is quite genius. It's what, uh, it's what Tolkien did. It's actually what George R. R. Martin did, which was most of the viewpoints started together and then broke apart. And so you have an initial situation where you can explain all these characters, they can look at each other, you get to know them all, sometimes just from one viewpoint. It's what Robert Jordan did. Yeah. We start with Rand. We get to know all the people around Rand, and then when the, the group shatters, then we start picking up other viewpoints because Rand yep. is no longer there. Mm -hmm. um, and it works wonderfully well. It's actually what Martin did. Essentially, he kept us to a few viewpoints until the shattering happened, and then the viewpoints multiplied. Now, now, the alternative to that is what Tom Clancy does, mm -hmm. which is completely disparate viewpoints yeah. that eventually all come together. Start to come yeah. together. That's a very satisfying The other yeah. thing that Clancy does is that sometimes he will say, you know, for instance, uh, you know, somebody has just, you know, fired a weapon. Yeah. Okay, we now switch viewpoints to somebody right. who is downrange, and we are going to get their viewpoint on what happened when right. that weapon arrived. And maybe they live, maybe they die. We don't know. But that character for... Two or three pages is interesting, and their perspective right. is moving the story forward, and we may never see them again. And you mm -hmm. have to also, one of, the, one of the things I'll say in this is matching your story to your readers. Um, the first Clancy I read, when it did that to me, I, it really turned me off. I did not know to expect that this is what Clancy does. Ah. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes... What was the first Clancy you um, I can't remember, honestly. Okay. Um, sometimes, though, I, I, think it was, um, I think it was Cardinal of the Kremlin. Okay. Um, mm. But anyway, some sometimes Clancy, I think, went overboard. There's one book where There's he like some, yeah. there was some lumber thing that the it's like tree. the tree yeah. that I think yeah. I mean, it, and it I love that. Cool I love the viewpoint of the tree. In a lot mm. of ways. I loved the viewpoint of the tree. See, I thought that worked beautifully. Yeah. And so I think that 
that may be a genre thing. Well, where it's, it's like Brandon introduced this by saying you got to know your audience. Yeah, you got to yeah. know your audience. And you know, one thing Clancy did very did very well was give you a sense in this book that all of these things were part of the same story, and it, yeah. it became a mystery then. How is this fitting into the story? <laughs> and I mentioned an epic. Why do I care about yeah. this tree? Why do I care about this fracking tree? <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned in um, the epic one that I when I first tried to write the Way of Kings. Um, I did a very poor job, and that was partially because I didn't understand these things. This is what killed me on this book. I was trying to write a grand epic with lots of multiple viewpoints, and I just picked all these people around the world and started telling their stories without any hint or indication that it was eventually going to converge, yeah. and it was very, the, the readers were kept have trouble keeping track of people, it was maddening for them, and I eventually realized when I did the rewrite, I need to bring some of these characters together, and I eventually ended up doing only two separate storylines in two separate places, with some occasional glimpses here and there, but it's what Dan said. We, we know who the main characters are, and yep. yeah, we have to keep track of two places, but there's a, a group of characters in one, and then there's another character in another place, and rather than having dozens of viewpoints, I, I ended up writing the book with yep. three or four. And oh, uh, spoiler so alert, Way of yep. Kings has a Michael Whalen cover. It does have a Michael Whalen cover. Is that a spoiler? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's wow. a well-spoiled spoiler at this point. Wow. Um, I do also want to mention that Dan's book, since we're talking about people's yes. books, Dan's book As came you out last week. this, I am currently on tour. Yes. Um, I am not a serial killer. Not me, Brandon, but the book, I'm not a serial killer, <laughs> came out last week. Brandon is a serial killer. <laughs> you should all buy it. I cover quoted it. Um, I don't think they use it on the cover, but it's somewhere it's, it's in there. It's on the back cover. Yeah. Oh, so it we're, is? Wow. We're ending our multiple, front, you're on the we're back. ending our multiple viewpoints, multiple storylines with multiple pimpage. Yes, multiple pimpage. <laughs> buy Dan's book. Yes, and if you're uh, on the west coast of the U.S., I will be there for the next two weeks. So please look at my website and, and come to a signing. I got a writing prompt. Okay. I got a writing prompt. Okay, we talked about the tree in Some of All Fears. I'm yeah. sure you've seen uh, the there's the the Christian metaphor of the you know the trees that get built into things. I want a multiple viewpoint storyline with with a tree that is the focal point for multiple viewpoints that pass the tree. Okay, all right. Multiple. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's all Christian about... symbolism optional. Yeah, yeah optional. Whatever. <laughs> all right. It's a tree for crying um, out loud. You might have some excuses in that case, but either way, go write. This has been Writing Excuses. Thanks for listening. If you aren't familiar with Locust Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 